with Bibles open to Psalm 83, we continue our series entitled God's Great Love Story. It was my privilege a few days ago to be in the land of Israel for 10 days. And as we just saying that uh, the tomb was empty for he rose, my favorite place, I have many favorite places in Israel, but my most favorite place is to go there to the garden tomb and see the place of the skull, see Golgotha on the side of the hill. It looks just like a, a skull. And there in the garden going to the tomb. And every time I have been, I've been many times, since the year 2000, and every time I go, and I go to the garden tomb, and we celebrate uh, communion, we celebrate the Lord's Supper right there before the tomb, and and right before we leave, we walk down to a, a, a hole that had been cut in the side of the rock, the tomb that had belonged to uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And every time I have went there to Israel since 2000, almost uh, 9, 10, 11 times I would say I've been to Israel, every time I go, I, I stick my head in the tomb and I see the same exact thing. The tomb is empty. He's not there, for he arose. And we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus next week. This is a continuation of the series entitled God's Great Love Story. And we're going to see today God's first love of Israel. God had placed another sermon on my heart I had prepared for today, but uh, the way God works and the way God has provided, he has shifted that focus. And, and I am bringing to you a, an updated sermon of what God has placed on my heart to share with you today. This love story of Israel we're going to see is ultimately fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ, but God loves the nation of Israel. Now, I understand that some may be offended by the sermon today. I'm okay with that. I believe that God has given me a message that must be preached and it must be preached today. Over the past several days, I've been in Israel and I've seen many things, and I've heard many things that I believe that must be addressed from this pulpit. I'm not going to be political, but I'm going to be biblical. I make no apologies for preaching the truth, no apologies at all. My heart and the heart of Aloma is to be known by what we are for. That's one of our passion points. But this does not mean that we hide behind political correctness. What this means is that we share the truth, but we share the truth in love. And so as I share this morning from God's Word in Psalm 83, I, I share this out of love, not out of hatred or animosity or a spirit of division. This morning, we're going to see six truths that spring out of the text this morning that I believe that God would have us to see Today, Please stand in the honor of reading God's word, Psalm 83. Understand that this is a prophetic psalm. That means this is something that has not yet happened. You can chalk Psalm 83 up with the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. This is a prophetic sermon of things that are to come. Psalm chapter 83, O God, do not keep silent anymore. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you, that you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people, Israel. They consult together against your treasured ones, the Jews. They say, come, let us wipe Israel out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. 
for they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom, Edom, the Edom, Edomites, that doesn't mean anything to us today, but Edom is southern Jordan. The Ishmaelites, that's Saudi Arabia and present-day Yemen. Moab, that is central Jordan. The Hagarites, that's Egypt. Gebel, that's northern Lebanon. Amalek, that's the West Bank. Philistia, that's the Gaza Strip. Tyre, that is present-day south Lebanon. Ashor, this comes from the Assyrians. This is present-day Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. They have all joined. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them, O God, as you did to Midian, as to Sisera, Jabin, and the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmana, who said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. Oh, my God, make them whirling dust like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that you, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Father, we thank you for this psalm. And Father, as we open this psalm and we see six truths that resonate for us in these last days from this psalm, Father, speak to us, I pray, in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. I reiterate that what we find here in Psalm 83 has not yet happened, but I believe we will see this in our time, in our day. This psalm is a prophetic psalm. The events detailed in this psalm is is in our future, but I believe that are being prepared before our very eyes. So many prophecies that are found in God's Bible in this book are, are being fulfilled before us and are showing us and telling us and screaming to us that we are living in the last days. Last week, I, as I've already told you, I was in Israel for 10 days. Been there many, many, many times. But this time was different. This time we were traveling from Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel before, raise your hand if you've been to the Holy Land before. In your mind, travel down Jerusalem, head through the, 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 the desert of the Negev, and go toward Masada. Remember that track? Remember how plain it is, how dry it is? You're in a desert. And many, many times I've drove and ridden on a bus from Jerusalem down through the desert. And, and all of a sudden, as we were driving along, I hear our guide and our bus driver start speaking in Hebrew. I pick up a word here and there, and I know that something is going on. I raised my head. I was reading the scripture. I, I raised my head. I looked out the window, and your pastor, for the first time in his life, was speechless. Write it down. The pastor had nothing to say. What I saw took my breath away. As we were traveling from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea in the middle of the Negev Desert, 
The only thing that is alive out there are these massive lizards. I don't get out of the bus when we travel through the desert of the Negev. The only thing I've ever seen out there alive, these lizards. I looked around and, well, I want you to see it for yourself. We have a video I took while I was on the bus. And as we show this video, I want you to look and this is normally brown. It's in the desert. Normally sand everywhere. And I don't know if you can make it out. Our screens are not in HD, but everything is green. The desert has blossomed. Grass as far as the eye could see. Beautiful flowers that were growing where, where there is nothing. And I looked at the guide and I said, are you all irrigating now in the desert? And she said with wide eyes, no. Did you all have a lot of rain this season? Uh Uh-uh. She was from this area, the driver from this area. The driver's not even a Christian and is beginning to shake and looking around and, and saying, what in the world is going on? God gave me the words. I stood up on the bus and I told the passengers from this church who made this trip with us, I said, I want you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 35. And I read the first few verses, Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 1 says that in the last days, the desert will bloom like a rose. I said, I want you to look around us. We are living in the last days. Now that I have your attention... For the next several minutes, I want to speak to you on what is about to take place in these last days, straight from God's Word, not from Revelation, not from Daniel, but from Psalm 83. Six truths that we find from Psalm 83. The first truth is this. God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for Israel. The truth becomes very obvious that as we read this psalm that that God has a special place in his heart for the nation of Israel. God hears the cries and he defends the Jewish nation from her enemies. We actually see this unfold in Ezekiel chapter 36. If you want to turn there, you can, but we have the verses on the screen. I want us to look at Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 17. Son of man, this is what Ezekiel often calls himself. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanliness of a woman in her impurity. Now, what is this saying? God said, I gave to the Jews, I gave them a law, I gave them a land, I gave them a Lord. And God says right here in Ezekiel that they denied the Lord, they, they defied the law, and they defiled the land. In other words, what Ezekiel is saying is that the Jewish nation, his chosen people, the sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these people called the Jews, they went and they disobeyed God. Now, look at verse 18. So I, talking about God, poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it with. So then, understand, this is prophetic as well. This was speaking in the future for Ezekiel. The Jews, they they were scattered to the four corners of the earth, but they remained a nation. The Jews moved from nation to nation to nation around the world, but yet they remained a people. This happened to Israel not in the days of Ezekiel, 
But after the time of Jesus in 70 AD, what Ezekiel was prophesying took place hundreds of years after he said it would happen. It occurred in 70 AD. Titus, the Roman general, comes from Rome to squash the the Jewish rebellion. And the Bible says that there in 70 AD, the Jews were, were wiped out of Israel. There was a remnant that remained, but the Jews began to leave Israel. They left the land of the promise. And for almost 1,800 years, over 1,800 years, almost 1,900 years, Israel was displaced from their homeland just like Ezekiel said they would. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 18, they would be scattered because they disobeyed the Lord. Now, going back to Ezekiel, look at verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, says God, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name. You see what he says here? He said, I'm not acting for you. You you guys have turned your back on me over and over and over again. I'm about to act not because of your name, but because of my name. He goes on to say in verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations. Don't miss this. Verse 24, this happened in some of your lifetime. This occurred, and and we're seeing this take place right now. Ezekiel 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all of the countries and bring you back into your own land. This happened May 14th, 1948. May 14th, 1948, for the first time in any of our lifetimes, the Jewish nation now has a a country that they can call their own. From the east and the west and the north and the south, the Jews began to return back to the land of promise, the land that God had given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the land that that Moses was, was about to walk into, the land that Joshua conquered back that was given to Abraham. God brought them back before our very eyes, just as exactly as he said he would do. Now let's continue to read. Look at verse 25, Ezekiel 36. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols, I will cleanse you. The Jews, they're going to come to know Jesus Christ. This is yet to happen. This verse, verse 25, has not yet happened. But in the margins of your Bible, if you have your Bible open to Ezekiel 36, verse 25, I, I want you to write out from that Romans eleven twenty-five. Romans 11.25, you see, Paul talks about this. Paul takes this this prophecy from Ezekiel 36 that that Israel will come back to the Lord, that Israel will will be saved. And and this is how Paul writes it in Romans 11.25, lest you be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. That's us. We're the Gentiles. So right now, God is working through the church, but he says that that I have made, I have made my chosen people, the Jews, I have caused their heart to be hardened. 
And in this way, all of Israel will be saved, verse 26, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with whom I take away their sins. Now, in the margins of your Bible, I also want you to write down Revelation chapter 7. Because you see, I will never see this take place. As the church, if you are saved, you will never see Romans 11 and Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 take place. We will be raptured out. The rapture happens in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 5. The church is caught up and we are taken out of this world before he brings the judgment upon the world. But it's in Revelation chapter 7 where we find the 144,000 Jews. Have you heard of this before? The 144,000, that does not mean that there's a hundred, literally 144,000 Jews walking around. How do we come up with the number 144,000? Well, read Revelation chapter 7. It's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. This means, what is 12 in the Bible? 12 means complete. So what we find in Revelation chapter 7 is the fulfillment of the prophecy that was first given by Ezekiel that Paul echoed in Romans chapter 11. And then it happens in Revelation chapter 7 when the nation of Israel finally, their hearts are no longer hardened and God speaks into their life and they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's the reason we should, as Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know why? Because God is not finished with the Jews. God loves the Jews. You say, Pastor, do you love the Jews? I love them with all my heart. And I pray for them. And I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The first truth that we see is that God has a plan for Israel. Truth number two. Truth number two, God is the one who is hated. Now, I want you to listen to this point. I want you to tune in and and not tune out until, well, for the remainder of the sermon, but listen to what the Lord says. God is the one who is hated. Notice in Psalm 83, verse 2, your enemies, those who hate you. It's not about the land. Why is it that people hate Israel? It's not because of the land. Why is it that people hate America? It's not because of our land. It's not because of what we've done. The reason why the world hates Israel and they hate America is the same reason. You know why? They hate our God. They hate our God. Therefore, there has been for the past several decades a fundamental change that is occurring in our country. Whether you believe it or not, this change has not just happened in the past eight years. This is something that has been in the works for decades. A change, an attempt to remove God, and not just God, but also the name of Jesus out of our vocabulary. Now understand, this is a new thing. This is a new thing that we're seeing in our country a country that was founded upon that book that you're holding in your hands called God's Holy Word, the Bible. There is no mistake that our founding fathers founded this great nation upon the principles of the Bible. And now we are embarking upon a brand new country. This is not the same country as it was in 1776 when this country began. We are seeing a radical change that is happening 
Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a realist. I see what is going on, and I believe if I continue to stay silent about the wrongs that I see, then the things will never change. It's time. It's time at least for this voice to speak up and to say loud and clear that I want my country back. What needs to be addressed is why we feel a reason in our country to be sympathetic and believe that every voice must be heard and heeded. This way of thinking is what has caused our country to be in the problem in which she is in now. The problem with America is not her foundation. Her foundation is solid. The problem with America is we believe that everyone is entitled to a seat at the table. That doesn't work. It never has. It never will. We can have equality. Listen to me very clearly. We can have equality without changing our fundamental core. Do you see what I'm saying? We can have equality without redefining the definition of marriage. Marriage is between one man, one woman, period. Period. Listen. Now listen to me. People in this country have the right in this country to have whatever sexual preference they want to have. You have the right in this country to believe in whatever religion you want to. And I am fine with that. You have that freedom. That's the definition of freedom. But what becomes problematic is when the bedrock, when the foundation, the very core is changed. We must stop changing the foundation. When the foundation becomes rocky and the foundation becomes cracked, what are we going to stand on? Marriage. Marriage is under God. Marriage is a union that is ordained by God, not by government. The state in which we live, the state of Florida, the state of Florida says that, that uh, two men in the eyes of this state, two men can be married So in the eyes of the state, two men can be married. But listen to me, in the eyes of God, two men can never be married. Marriage is not given by government. It's given by God. What needs to be addressed is the whole nation that we have killed in the name of women's choice. 55 million abortions in this country since Roe v. Wade. The vast majority, 50, can you wrap your mind around 55 million? 55 million abortions happening because the pregnancy, the majority of these abortions happen because the pregnancy was deemed unwanted. Now, now we hear the leaders of this country supporting countries like Iran and Iraq that harbor terrorists paving the way for them to have nuclear weapons. Did you by chance hear the prime minister of Israel who, yes, won the election despite the efforts of some in this country? Did you hear what he said? 
Did you hear what he said? He spoke to this country and we need to hear what he said. Iran is not our friend, is not our ally. What do you think this country that is hell-bent on destroying Israel and go out on the streets of Iran and you're going to hear them say, death to America, death to America. What do you think they're going to do if their hands got a hold of a nuclear weapon? And all this time we have forsaken We have forsaken our greatest ally, our closest ally, the only democracy in a whole land full of people who hate us because of our God. And we have forsaken the only country there that 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 actually was an ally and a friend and supported us in the nation of Israel. We've turned our back on them. Our country, our leaders, from the president to the vice president, and yes, I pray for both of those men. But it doesn't just stop with them. It also goes to the Senate and it goes to the House of Representatives. All of these men and women had better understand that our foreign policy with Israel must be as allies and friends. In Genesis chapter, do you you believe in the Bible? Do you believe that God's word is true? Do you believe that when God says something, then that is very important? In Genesis chapter 12, God is speaking and he told Abraham, he said, you're going to be a father of many nations. And he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who what? Do you believe that? You see, God's word doesn't change, does it? The God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God of Peter, Paul, and Mary, and John. And what he said in Genesis chapter 12 rings true today. What we find there in Genesis chapter 12 is God's 4,000-year-old foreign policy with the nation of Israel. The nations that have blessed Israel have been blessed. The nations that have cursed Israel have been cursed. How many Philistines have you had lunch with? Where's Assyria now? Where are the Romans? Let's bring this closer to our time. Where are the Nazis? I will bless those that bless Israel, and I will cut those off that cut off Israel. If you want to be blessed, be a blessing to Israel. You want to be cursed, go against them. Now, church, listen up and listen very close. If we don't get the next couple of years right in voting, this country is doomed. This is not about electing, and listen to me very clearly, this is not about electing a Republican or Democrat. It has nothing to do with that. It's not about white or black or brown. It's not about the color of the skin. It's not about male or female. You know what it's about? It's about right and wrong. It's about truth and justice. No politician can be our savior. Did you hear me? I'm not endorsing a candidate here. No politician can be our savior. We need God to intervene. We need God to bring revival upon this land. We need God to heal this land. We need the Holy Spirit of God to fill this land. The world hates Israel. But not only does the world, Psalm 83 tells us, if you turn back over to Psalm 83, it's more specific than the world. In Psalm 83, what we found, and I gave you where those places are in our present day on your map. Every nation that surrounds Israel is found right there in Psalm 83. 
You see, not only does the world hate Israel and the world hates America, but the Muslim nation hates the world or hates, hates Israel and hates America. Four days ago, the group that went from Aloma Church, we stood on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the place where the third temple is going to be built, the place where you've seen the picture of Jerusalem, the Dome of the Rock and the, and the mosque, Al-Aqsa Mosque. And the first thing, I've been on that Temple Mount many of times. I've walked by uh, Muslims many of times. But the first time, the first time that this has ever happened, happened to me four days ago. Our group of, of Christian Americans walked on Temple Mount. And as we walked by a group of 30 or 40 men and women, they began to cry out, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. That's the phrase that these Muslim terrorists use right before they blow themselves up. Now, why would they say that? Why would they see a bunch of, of Christian Americans and why would they begin to chant out in unison for literally 10 minutes until we left Temple Mount? Why would they be crying out, Allah Akbar? Because we're American Christians and they hate our God. They hate the Jewish God. They hate the Christian God. Jewish Jews and Christians have been killed by the millions by the Muslims. Don't listen and don't believe everything you hear in the news. Today in Iran, you want to know how free it is to live in Iran? Christians must register in the country of Iran with the government. They must make a vow. They must make a vow to never attempt to convert a Muslim to Christianity. They're not allowed to worship publicly. If you're caught worshiping in a house church in Iran, you're imprisoned and executed. In 2008, the Iranian dictator signed into law that any Muslim who converts to Christianity will receive the death penalty. Saudi Arabia, our allies in the Middle East, the Saudi people are governed by Sharia law. You want to talk about freedom? There's no freedom there. The teachings of Islam that suppresses free thought, religion, women, and much more. Just like in Iran, if you convert to Christianity from Islam in Saudi Arabia, you are killed. Listen to me very carefully. This is not a conspiracy theory. I don't believe that every Muslim is a murderer. I don't believe that at all. But I do know that it's from this religion that people become radicalized by reading the teachings of the Quran. And the Quran teaches them to kill the Jews and the Christians. They call us infidels. And their Quran, their Bible teaches that when they kill the Jew or the Christian, that's how they inherit eternal life. Is it because they hate America? No. Is it because they hate Jews? No. It's because they hate our God. Don't be confused. Do not be confused. Don't buy into the lie. Allah is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Allah, the, 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 the God of the Quran, is not the God of the Bible. They hate us because they hate our God. The third truth we find from Psalm 83 is that God is silent at impending judgment. As you read Psalm 83, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that God is keeping his silence. This happens. This has not happened yet. If you turn over in your Bible to Revelation chapter 8, Turn over there, and you can write it in the margins of Psalm 83. But in Revelation chapter 8, we, we see God is silent. Now, what has happened up to this point in Revelation chapter 8? Well, in Revelation 5, the church is, 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 is raptured out. 
Revelation 6, the Antichrist is revealed. The four horsemen of the apocalypse come on the scene. Then Revelation chapter 7, the Jews, all of uh, Romans chapter 11 is fulfilled. Then we come to Romans chapter 8, and we find this solemn verse. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This coincides with Psalm 83, 1 and 2. What we are about to see take place in Psalm 83 of what we just read is from Revelation Revelation chapter 8 and on. The silence in heaven. When I think of heaven, I don't think of silence. Do you? When I think of heaven, I think of worship and and praise and and laughter and, and parties. But here in the Bible, your Bible says that heaven is silent. Why? Because the impending judgment that's about to occur. This world is about to experience hell on earth. And God is silent. This is the truth that we see. God stays his hand. God's in control. God is sovereign. God is the one who has got all of this taken care of. But God has chosen in that time to remain silent for just a moment. Fourth truth that we see is that God allowed the nations of the world to surround Israel. In the book of Revelation, as we see in Psalm 83, the nations of the world surround Israel for the battle of Armageddon, or as we say in English, Armageddon. Interestingly enough, in Psalm 83, we don't see all the nations of the world. We only see uh, modern-day Muslim countries, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and so on. These countries, as verse 5, right now, these countries in our day are separated. But in this day, in the coming day, the Bible says, your Bible says, look back at it, uh, Psalm 83, verse 5, they come together in one accord. They conspire in one accord against God. They make a covenant with one another. Sound familiar? The Antichrist is going to come and he's going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. The first three and a half years, he upholds that covenant. But in the last three and a half years, the great tribulation, he breaks that covenant. What we will see, what's happening right now in our time, unfolding before us. Open the pages of the newspaper, look online and and read what is happening there. It's right out of God's Word. Do you see it? Why is it that all these Muslim countries are forsaking democracy and going to theocracy? Why is it? It's preparing the way for the caliphate. It's preparing the way for the Antichrist to come. At some point in the future, Psalm 83, verse 5, Revelation chapter 6 says that a leader is going to emerge and he is going to rule a united, a unified Muslim country. And not just the Muslims, but the whole world. The direction of this leader, maybe he's European, maybe he's Arab, I don't know. But he's going to unite the whole world and yes, even America is going to join. You say, our country is going to turn our back on Israel? Have you seen the news the past couple of weeks? The only thing, the only reason why I believe that God so blesses our country is because of the remnant that is here that's praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I believe the only reason why God has continued and has not caused America to fall like Sodom and Gomorrah is because of you and I who are on our knees praying that God would stay his hand. Now, what's going to happen when we're raptured out, when we're taken out? America is going to join in with all of the other world 
powers. Join in with this world dictator and come against him in the valley of Megiddo to make war with Israel. You say, how large is the valley of Megiddo? I wish that every one of us could go to Israel. I, you could stand on Mount Carmel. The valley of Megiddo, the, 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 the Kidron Valley goes from north of Israel. It splits Israel, the country of Israel, right in half. It starts in the very top and goes all the way to the very bottom. So it is here where the final battle in the nation of Israel where this is going to take place. Not only the Muslim nations, but the nations of the whole world are going to come. The fifth truth that we find from Psalm 83 is that God brings decisive judgment. In Psalm 83, verse 9, the psalmist asked God to bring decisive judgment as he did to Midian. What did God do with Midian? We don't have time to turn there, but in Judges chapter 6, it's about Gideon, how God defeated the Midianites with only 300 soldiers. When the whole world is approaching Israel, Revelation chapter 20, verse 9 says that, that when, when God comes with the church and, and the, the battle of Armageddon takes place, all of the world is going to be there with their nuclear weapons and everything else. And Jesus is going to come on the scene and it's going to be just like the battle that happened in Midian. God did not lose one. Gideon did not lose one of those soldiers. Not one of those 300 coming against the thousands that they were fighting. They did not lose one soldier, and that's going to be just the way it is. Read, Go back and read Revelation chapter 20 and verse 9. When Jesus comes with the church, there is a decisive victory. God will not lose one hair off the head. The sixth truth that we find, God's victory is to display his glory. Look back at verse 18 of Psalm 83 that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. We see this in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Again, we don't have time to go there. You can experience God's victory right now, friend. You see, we have, we have the playbook. We have the manual. As I've been opening God's Word, and just, this is just a sliver This is just a sliver of of Bible prophecy of, of God's love story that he is saying to us from the Old Testament, telling us of his great love for us. This is just a little sliver. We could open up and we could spend years talking about Bible prophecy and how it's being fulfilled before our very eyes. But what we find right here is God shouting from the rooftops, I love you. I love you. My my intention here is not to scare anyone. If If I could talk you into heaven, somebody else could talk you out of heaven. My purpose here is to remind the saints that God loves us, that God is in control, and God has got this. But it's also to sound a warning that if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, you're lost and you're going to experience hell on earth. I'm out of time, but I need just a few more. Can I have a few more minutes? I want you to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. And I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 21. This is when Jesus curses the fig tree. You remember the story? Have you ever wondered why Jesus, when he came in on triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, on this day that we're celebrating today, have you ever wondered why he cursed that fig tree? Well, let me tell you why. 
Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. Fig tree in, in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, is representative of the nation of Israel. He saw only leaves and he said to it, May no fruit come from you again. The fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will be, uh, it will be not only do what, what, what has been done to the fig tree, but even you can say to the mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea. Okay, you know the story? The fig tree, we encounter the fig tree in Jesus later on in the story before the cross. I want you to look over and I want you to see it in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 32. These are related. So he curses the fig tree. Remember, the fig tree was not producing figs. It was not producing leaves. This is, this is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And so the nation of Israel was cursed. God hardened the heart of the Jews. Now, notice what he says here in Revelation 24, verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and, and put out leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near. He's at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. Do you see what he's saying? The nation of Israel will be cursed, will be cut off, will be left dead. He cursed the fig tree. But he said that the fig tree is going to sprout again. And when the fig tree sprouts again and it begins to produce fruit again, this generation shall not pass. May 14th, 1948, the fig tree that had been withered sprouted again. The generation, listen to me, the generation, I'm not ready to to call a date. No man knows the day nor the hour. But the generation that saw Israel become a nation is the generation that will see the coming of the Lord. That's our generation. Now, I don't say this to scare you. I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm saying this because this is a message of hope. Because you see, the Bible says that in the last days, yes, Satan is going to pour out his wrath like this world has never seen. But you see, that comes after the church is gone. As long as the church is here, I will not give up, bow down, to political correctness or to anything of this world. You know why? The prophet Joel says that in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to pour out his spirit like this world has never seen before. So you see, this generation is not lost. I have hope for this generation. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the church of Jesus Christ that does not miss the coming revival. I want to see God pour out his spirit on this world like he has never done before. You see, this is the generation of hope. This is our generation. Yes, it was our generation that saw the world come and and become like it is today. But this is also the generation that is going to see the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. And church, we need to be ready. Christian, you need to be ready. Sir, ma'am... Student, you need to be ready. Right now, I call you to salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It is time to stop playing games with your eternal future. And it is time to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for he alone can save you.
And when you come into salvation, when you come into salvation, it is time for you to step up. Let your voice be heard. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Speak it in love. Stand on God's word. Pray fast. Hide God's word in your heart. And trust me, upon God's word, he will pour his spirit out upon you. You will be blessed as an individual. Your family will be blessed and your church will be blessed.